Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Alessandro, Sasha, Eric and Peter to discuss how we can prepare for the AI Act of 2023. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So before we get into it, let's work our way around the room with some quick introductions. Alessandro, do you want to start things off? Sure. Hi everyone, my name is Alessandro. I'm Italian, but I moved to Denmark about 12 years ago. Uh, my background is in economics and I have a PhD from Copenhagen University. But today I had the, uh, I lead the data science team at the Danish Central Bank, where we follow the AI Act quite closely, specifically for its uh, impact, its potential impact on the financial sector. And that was it for me. Great. Sasha? Yes, uh, also nice to meet all of you. My name is Sasha Bestman and I'm a senior consultant in new tech uh, at KPMG. I try to help organizations uh, bridge the gap between business needs and technical feasibility uh, using my background from Copenhagen Business School. Um, I was part of one of the first uh, DNA's uh, AI reviews um, conducted here, uh, but otherwise I primarily focus on machine learning and quantum technologies, uh, even though we range uh, broadly uh, in our service line from, from robotics to, to yeah, quantum. Um, I'm interested in this topic because uh, I, th- I think you need to create some kind of sense of purpose in your life uh, and, and create a future that you would actually like to visit. So I think that's that's why I'm, I'm here today. Great. Eric? Yes, uh, my name is Eric Johnson. Hi, everybody. I'm a principal AI specialist uh, at a company called Delegate. Uh, I have an education in language, philosophy, programming, and especially AI programming. I've been working with AI for more than 10 years and headed some of uh, the AI projects that are in production today in Denmark. Uh, I've also done some research in the future work needed for AI, which has been validated uh, by Berkeley University. Um, I'm a member of the European AI Alliance and a co- contributor to the uh, initial guidelines. I'm also the creator of uh, the Data Ethical Toolbox for Machine Learning Engineers for the Danish Business Authority. And then I was also the government, uh, a government-appointed member of the Danish Expert Group for Data Ethics. And finally, Peter. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm happy to be part of this podcast. I hope we get some very interesting discussions. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm head of data and AI in in part of uh, Capgemini called Insights and Data. So heading a team and also activities in uh, Capgemini Denmark around uh, the public sector and and using data and AI. And especially when we talk about AI, it is very much relating to data. And I'll also come back to that. My background is working with AI for more than 15 years, in fact, um, and also being very much interested in explainable AI for the last five years. Uh, and and I, I'm looking forward to discuss more about that in, in relation to the AI Act. 
uh, my relation to the AI Act and in general trustworthy AI, for instance, is also coming from my involvement in in dialogues with the European Commission in relation to the high-level expert group uh, set out in 2019, where I gave my feedback also on trustworthy AI as defined by this uh, high-level expert group, and uh, and also now later uh, giving feedback to the AI Act when it came out in April 2021. So I've been looking into this for some time, and all this, but it's, yeah, complicated, but we'll hopefully get some interesting uh, dialogues around it. Great. Yeah, great. Perfect. So now that we have established the context to each of you, let's move into our topic in focus. So if you all have questions or statements on preparing for the AI Act. And as usual, I'll work our way around the room with each of these questions and allow you to elaborate. Each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. But first of all, let's start off with a few words from you, Peter, uh, who's going to explain a little bit more about the AI Act and what it's going to involve. Thank you, and I'll do my best to do it uh, brief and also as simple as possible. And I hope the, you know, the day dialogues we'll have will go into some of the more complicated stuff in 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 the AI Act because you can you can really look at it as a, a new regulation coming up. Uh, I'll also later off we will discuss you know how long time do we expect it to take before it come into place. But um, the idea is that the regulation is set into place to regulate AI systems in the EU market. So it's, of course, focusing on the EU market and uh, setting some regulations on how to put them into service, you know, AI uh, into service and use uh, AI. And then also it prohibits uh, some certain AI practices um, and set out some requirements from the for the high-risk AI systems because it do then require us, the people that put this, these AI services into place, into the market, it does require us to make some assessment to whether our AI is uh, either high risk or low risk. So this kind of risk assessment, that's the, the, the main uh, purpose of the, of the regulation to, 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 uh, to uh, set out the, the regulations for how we can make this risk assessment and a lot of other things I'll briefly go into. And, and the people that place this into market is also defined as both being, uh, you know, the providers uh, of, of uh, AI systems, bringing it into service. It does also define, uh, um, you know, users of AI systems and, and how they uh, should be regulated and also what they call providers. One of the feedback I originally gave to this was that all these different roles that they do define is a bit complicated uh, because who are really the people placing a product into the market and who do then develop the AI systems and how is all this regulated? It's a bit complicated. But all in all, you can say what is most important is, of course, since it uh, regulates AI, you have to also be able to define what is AI. And that turns out to be perhaps one of the most complicated parts of, of this regulation just agreeing on what AI is. And I think uh, this discussion, in fact, is still going on. The European Commission haven't uh, agreed on a, 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 an exact, an exact uh, definition. The original def definition as made uh, in, in the original proposal has definitely been challenged because it did define AI uh, techniques and approaches, both, uh, of course, as being machine learning, so most of us already know, 
that AI is, is often about learning something from data, but it did originally also include uh, AI as being, you know, more or less the, the old expert systems where you had a more logic and knowledge-based approach to, to how you define, uh, you know, and program systems uh, in a more manual process. They did also include these more manual AI systems uh, and and that is a bit of a challenge also that that it's going to regulate that but the most i would say the biggest challenge was in fact it did also mention more statistical approaches and also search and optimizations methods as being ai so so i could imagine that if we end up with uh, something like that a definition where ai is also just doing some search um, methods in an application, then almost every application would end up being being regulated. On the other hand, I can understand why, because you know, making a search function in a product is in fact quite complicated and could not, could also be, you know, challenged with being biased and a lot of things we can discuss later on. So perhaps it's it's, it's okay to do it, but it's still uh, in discussion. So, so anyway, so so that's more or less what uh, what we try to regulate um, AI as defined in the regulation, and then finally, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's going to be a risk-based approach. So it would be uh, you know regulating, uh, as I mentioned, high-risk uh, AI or limited-risk AI or minimal-risk AI. So we, as the people pro uh, you know placing these products on the market, has to make this risk assessment whether it's a high-risk uh, or lower risk or even on also unacceptable AI solution. I think that's perhaps the best thing about this regulation is that it is going to to force us uh, to uh, look into how we use the AI and what risks uh, it will apply to people. Um, yeah, and I think that would be my introduction to this because if you go, what is it most interesting is talking about the high risk AI systems because the minimal the 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 limited risk and minimal risk is not really that uh, interesting to discuss because limited risk uh, AI will only have to be transparent in relation to people knowing that they are, for instance, talking to a chatbot uh, and a chatbot is using AI and then you just have to tell that you are, this is not a person, this is a chatbot. That's kind of the, the transparency they are looking for with, with this limited risk. And if you have minimal risk, then you don't have to comply to any regulation at all. And the high risk, we can dis discuss that later on. What is that? But I would say it's more or less uh, AI that somehow affects people. So if you somehow introduce AI into the market that have some influence in the lives of people, um, then you are more or less delivering high-risk AI systems. But, but, but we can go more into that later. I think that was my introduction to to the to the AI Act, and and uh, yeah, so let's uh, discuss it. Okay, great, Alessandro. Did you have something you wanted to add? I thought it was a great introduction. I just wanted to stress how wide the application of the current proposal is. Uh, Peter talked yes. about the very wide definition of AI, and that's part of it. But also, when we look at the uh, high risk systems in Annex Three, the regulation lists something that is automatically considered high risk. As Peter said, it's something about individuals, but us coming from the financial sector, it specifically mentioned credit risk scoring for natural persons. 
that bank business, that core bank business, it specifically mentions a health risk for pension, pension and insurance company. That's a, a sector that in Denmark has assets, like as a lot of assets, about twice um, as much as as in, in other countries. So it's um, it's it's, it's going to be very, it's going to have very big impact. It's going to encompass a lot of system as we as it, in, in its current form. Format. And Eric, is there something you wanted to add? Uh, simply that um, besides uh, what uh, Alejandro is uh, mentioning with that a lot of uh, applications will fall into the high risk uh, area, I also really agree with the Peter's uh, excellent point that the, the definition of AI in general is way too wide in uh, in, in the act as it is uh, right now. It's it's simply too inclusive. It, it when I read it the first time, I, I, I guess I thought, well, fine, everything is AI. It's it's really uh, it's quite baffling. So yeah, that's also a really interesting point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I I just raised my hand also just to say that yeah I I I, I did a say it myself also that it's very wide. But on the other hand, my first reaction Eric was exactly like you say, wow, it's definitely including almost everything, and all applications end up being being using AI. But I think it, what makes sense is that we at least as, uh, you know, providers of applications, let's just say applications into the market, that we do consider to what extent do we include some kind of algorithm that can have some risk of having bias, you know, in in uh, in the algorithm, that we somehow treat people different. Now, Alessandro also mentioned, you know, the financial service and credit scoring and, you know, being able to deliver a loan for, for a person. I mean, already there, we have some evaluations of, of, of what, 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 is, what algorithm is in fact uh, used to, to, to do this credit scoring. It doesn't have to be AI. I mean, it has, it has some algorithm in it. Perhaps it's even biased already. So I think it's okay that we have this very broad approach to the risk assessment because it's important that we do a risk assessment, do think, can we treat people in an unethical uh, uh, way in the, in, the, in the solutions, even though it's not really AI. And if you go back to the old definition of what is an AI, it's not always machine learning, you know, so, so it's okay also to uh, take that dialogue. Yeah, Sasha, did you have something that you wanted to add? No, I think it was uh, Peter, he, uh... He kind of just summarized uh, what I wanted to comment on. Perfect. Alessandro? Yeah, uh, also like very much agree with what Peter said. And I should also mention that banks are already regulated, are regulated sectors. So the typically and banks and the financial sectors, when they put models into production, we would call them, they do make a risk assessment. There is a very deep transition of model risk assessment, even if you're talking about simple linear OLS models. Uh, so in that sense, I think it's positive that now also other sectors will have to take that that consideration and figure out, okay, what I'm doing here is that risk bias, is that a high risk system, then perhaps I should have a governance behind it. Okay, great. So thank you so much, Peter, for explaining that. We'll uh, move on to the questions. So um, that will lead us nicely on to your question from Eric, who's asked, if AI models and their data is constantly changing and in motion, how can we rely on a single or even periodical assessment according to the new AI Act? Do you want to elaborate a little bit for us on that, Eric? Yes, I'm, I'm happy to. So uh, as I mentioned, I've uh, been involved with several AI uh, 
systems that are uh, that that are that have um, contributed to developing that are in production uh, today. And uh, I have uh, experience both as a project manager and also the person actually programming the AI model uh, uh, from the bottom. Uh, that was before we could pull things off the shelf like TensorFlow and other great uh, every, other great free products. Um, and what I've noticed is that uh, often when business applications of AI uh, create value, it's because they are able to approximate a changing data landscape. And what I mean by that is that uh, for example, uh, valuable predictions uh, make use of models that are uh, automatically retrained to include new training data that's uh, being funneled into the training data uh, staging area. So basically, the data that it's uh, training on it keeps changing all the time. And, and it's not only chronolo chronologically, you can also make solutions that uh, selects the right, uh, op the optimal parameters to train on and that means that the AI model actually decides uh, by itself every time it's retrained which parameters it should be training on and uh, there's a whole uh, process to evaluating what parameters are okay to include uh, in terms of um, bias, transparency and other ethical uh, um, uh, uh, complexities and, and when I look at the AI Act and it's uh, mentioning this uh, post-market uh, monitoring and uh, incident report system, uh, things that are uh, put under the provider obligations. I see uh, a, a task that, that is extremely difficult to solve in practice because of this uh, fluid nature of uh, the best business applications of uh, AI. Okay, Peter, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, I agree. Yes, it is complicated. Um, I do think that it's nice that we now in the AI Act see a specific um, um, regulation stating that you have to do data governance, you have to do data management better. You have to also now uh, regulations stating that you have to do the, uh, you know, the validation, testing your data sets. And I think this concept of also uh, keep, um, you know, keep focusing at the the quality of the AI you deliver, the accuracy, the also the data drift problem, as you mentioned. This is all mentioned as something that you have a responsibility to for doing. And I think it it kind of kickstarted the whole discussion around ML ops. So having these, um, you know, being inspired, inspired from, from, from software development where you have these DevOps procedures where you can keep uh, continuous integrating your software and you continuous deploy it and, uh, you know, monitoring it, as you also say, I think we now have finally uh, solutions in place for, for doing this also on machine learning applications where we can also now keep monitoring the quality of whatever we deliver and then do something about it if it does not work as expected. But because we do expect that an AI algorithm will, will drift so that the data it original was trained on is not good enough and we have to retrain it. So I'm not, perhaps I'm, I'm asking you, what is, what is it you don't, what is it that you see as a challenge here? Isn't this just something we have to do? And now we also even have, um, you know, the procedures in place and, and also some products that help us in, in doing the ML ops part. Perhaps it makes sense now. Yeah, sure. If it's okay, I would like to answer directly. Yeah. 
Um, so um, what's the, the trend in business applications uh, of AI, uh, as I see it, is that it's not very uh, fixed which model is the optimal model to uh, solve a problem. Uh, we can take uh, AutoML from Microsoft uh, as an example, where uh, some of its strongest application is where you sort of uh, let the, the, the different models battle it out and see which, which one is the most uh, efficient one. So that, that's an example of something that might be difficult uh, to, to use in practice. Uh, if this, but if you, uh, if this you have the opportunity, sorry, but if you have the opportunity to, to to monitor it and know that it fails or it doesn't work, uh, you know the accuracy is not as good as when you yeah, you used it or had tra trained it the first time. You will be able to retrain it and see that it still fails. So the model is wrong. You have to choose a new new model, and then I mean, just having the responsibility for doing that uh, is is so important. Uh, I think you ha should always do it but now we have somebody telling you you have to comply with that also is it wouldn't that work just just looking into the the you know monitoring the solution and then selecting a new model if the data changes it, no no it would not because the current uh the, the current uh, products and the current uh, frameworks today are set for monitoring uh performance not compliance yeah, if I can actually break in, I think what is what's very interesting in in this proposal and and especially this risk management system that they're they're asking for, is the audit trail that you actually have to create, right? So exactly. like you have to see, okay, your model was trained on this data, and you have to kind of be able to recreate that exact data set that your model was was created on. I see it a little bit as uh, you know when the medical industry is is creating a pill, you send the pill out. You have to exactly go back and say, okay, what kind of elements, what kind of uh, small, small variables were in place when, when this this product was created. That's how I see it, but just for the models, which makes it a bit more more complicated, and which I which is also why it makes it it's a bit harder to do. Also, because I don't actually think we have tools in place as it is right now to to do it. But that's in fact the MLOps tools I was mentioning. So they are in place. You can do you can use them. That's the yeah, do version think, control of I, both I know, data. I know you do the version control, but I don't think it doesn't keep the history as they are requesting it from the AI Act, at least in my opinion. Okay, Alessandro, did you have something that you wanted to add? Yeah, I'm primarily on Peter's team, to be honest. I can see ML also landed to solve a big part uh, of these regulations. It's completely true that currently when we do ML ops before, particularly focus on performance, and that's fine. That's one specific set of metrics. We could also add more metrics to that MLOps. Uh, in terms of compliance, sure, we need to check for other things. We have been asked to have some um, metrics for, for example, for bias. We are, if there's a high risk system, we need to check bias. That's another metrics. It's not easy to, to understand what the metric is, and that's why we hire data scientists, and that's why ultimately data scientists should participate in the definition of the model governance. But once we decide, okay, we need to monitor these metrics, we need to monitor bias in this way, and we need to monitor this and this and that, then it's essentially a dashboard. And then you're going to have in the governance, the AI Act requires you to have a governance in place. You're going to set up some threshold. Under this threshold, uh, this model is not going to be okay, exactly because of model drift, exactly because the data changes over time and the model changes with that. This is going to change over time. I mean, it is an incident. If a particular metric goes below a particular threshold, 
then data scientists need to intervene. Then if the toilet breaks, you call the plumber. You need to, you need to fix it. You need to make sure that the model is compliant with the regulations one, once again, or with your own governance um, systems. That's my take at least. Yeah. And Eric? Yeah. So um, I just want to add, I, I don't think I actually disagree with anyone on, on this call. And uh, what I was trying to highlight is, is the, the need for this focus shift from performance to compliance, which is uh, driven uh, by the AI Act. And I, I agree that's actually uh, a positive thing. And uh, I think it's just really important that providers are aware of this and, and think about in advance how are we going to, uh, to perform this shift uh, in practice. And, uh, and, and yes, there are, uh, are, are tools for that, but, but uh, yeah, I, I still see it as something that, that uh, along with uh, Sasha's point on, on historical data, is going to be a challenge uh, to do in practice. Uh, yeah. Okay. So following on from that, we'll come to you, Sasha, with your uh, question. And you want to actually discuss AI governance in practice. So how do we remove the responsibility from the developers, such as data scientists and engineers, to the management without slowly without slowing down the process? So what are your thoughts on this, Sasha? Yeah, so I, I think this is is talking quite well into the discussion we are we are already having. Um I do I do believe that the the risk-based approach that the AI Act is proposing is is quite sensible. Um, I think in, in my experience, uh, I do see many companies, maybe except from, from the financial sector, is not yet at a maturity level where they actually have this in place, you know, so, so they don't have an AI governance structure. They're very far away from having this risk management system. The, the ML ops we're talking about that's located in the, in the, in the analyst team, uh, and it's maybe not on a higher level. So, so what, what I'm thinking now and, and also what we're trying to review is just simply, okay, how do we, what, how do we raise the level? Like, how do we, how do we do so that, that the dashboard that are actually being, being looked at, that it's, that it's at people like who are actually like the risk, they're actually responsible for it because it should not be at the data scientist level. Also, if you, if you look at the, the technology, it's not so many, or it, it should perhaps be also at their level, it should be spread. But I think if if you look at it, a lot of a lot of people are coming out with not so much practical experience, and I think it's just very very important that we 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 make sure that uh, we de develop responsibly. Um, and also, like as we as we talked about before, um, I I do think that that we 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 should create trustworthy uh, solutions. Uh, but I really, really think we need to have a focus on on whether they skew our society and 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 all of this. And I can see there's there's a few comments, so let's let's kick yeah, it off, Eric. Yeah. So so now it's time for me to disagree because I, I actually <laughs> think that it's really important to bring the, these these insights down on the floor with the actual uh, uh, machine learning engineers, and, and that's also what we're doing uh, in Delegate. And that's that's just the way that I see the most uh, profound effect that the people who are actually building the thing are also the one who, who are ones who are working these aspects into the solution and and uh, perhaps there should be someone overseeing that uh, and, and and summarizing it but but that's really what i think is has the the most uh, profound effect and that's also the, the reason why when i was part of this um uh, government appointed uh, danish expert group for data ethics uh, my own suggestion was was to build this uh, um, this toolbox 
for machine learning engineers on how to do uh, ethical AI. Really, how could, could what's the practical side when the Danish government presented their national strategy for AI? I couldn't help but notice that there wasn't any uh, very practical, practically available guidelines for those who were actually making the the, the solutions. I didn't mean to drive your point to an extreme. Mm -hmm. Sasha, we're saying I, that they shouldn't know anything to, about I, it. I see it uh, but, with but, thoughts, all... but I, yeah, fair, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, but I'm more focused on on the the machine learning engineers that they have to understand uh, a notion of uh, a bias and a person dependent. Uh, data and uh, feature engineering, uh, how this can help uh, the whole thing and so on. I, I uh, do think I, I I do think I agree, right? But I'm I think I'm seeing it from a, from a more top down approach, right? I really think it's also important that that management is understanding what is actually being delivered or like produced, and and what you push out into into the the world, right? So that's more. I, I do. I do agree that it's in the end. It is the responsibility because it's their field, right? It's the data scientist who's 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 doing it. But but I do think that we need understanding all the way across. Maybe some education all the way across the the, the company. And Peter? Yeah. So so I I agree with both of you. And and uh, we have to. We have. And I think that was perhaps also more or less what you concluded, Sasha. Now that it has to be from from top to bottom uh you know that everyone needs to understand that this is important that we treat people uh you know respectfully trust and, and create this trustworthy ai um yeah i think this is very similar to the to the situation with gdpr that if you want to make uh, you know if you want to make top management uh you know reacting on this it's not enough saying that you have to comply because they would say yeah yeah that's fine but if you then put fines on top, and now you have uh, more or less in in, uh, in in as we did with the GDPR, you have now a fine of four percent of the total worldwide turnover as a penalty. So for for large companies, that's uh, you know they could more or less go bankrupt if if and also especially small companies can go bankrupt if if they you know get this fine. I I know that there's a you know, they, it can be graduated. It's not necessarily all on four percent, on depending on on you know what problem you have. But but I think we do now get uh, a, a regulation, and and we also have to mention that it's not coming into place yet. But we can mention that later on. Uh, but we now have that uh, or get the attention from top management to hopefully also at the bottom uh, or whatever we call it when we talk about data data scientists. Uh, having to uh, do this uh, trustfully, but but I do think if the regulation is coming into place as it, it's proposed now, it will get the attention from top to bottom, and that's uh, the most important thing. Yeah. And Alessandro? Yeah, I agree totally that the four percent fines in the four percent of global revenues fines is going to attract attention. Uh, management is going to notice, so there's not going to be a big deal in being in getting them involved, just like GDPR. That's essentially what made it happen. It was the fines. Uh, but I do agree, however, that uh, it cannot just be a top-down approach. What I actually see as a risk, that is, especially in large companies, this compliance effort is going to be left to you know, risk people, risk managers, uh, people with a lawyer background or a, um, or other kind of a business background that lacks the technical insight to actually understand 
what is bias? How do we monitor bias? How do we explain this type of model? What we see in practice is that, you know, even if we talk about bias between myself and my wife, who is a lawyer, then we are talking about different things because I'm talking about, I'm thinking about algorithmic bias, I'm thinking about statistical bias, and for her, this is something different, something else. And so what I see as key, especially for large organizations, large organization, is to establish a common language across the organization such that engineers and data scientists can talk to risk people, can talk to risk managers, but also lawyers and all that part of the business. And that needs to start now, because if we start on two years from now, when the AI Act will be in place, that's going to be way too late. It's going to be take two years to establish the language. It takes time to learn a new language and it's that we should start right away. Yeah. And Sasha? Yeah, I think I just wanted to elaborate a little bit in terms of like also how our, our approach is, because I actually think like we we try and, and put together these these three or four different backgrounds. So like, you know, the technical background, the legal background, and maybe someone uh, who actually has the responsibility, right? So the, the business background. And, and I think uh, just to get back to maybe also the question, how do we ease this process in practice because I think that's where we are we are often you know like not at a dead end but at a at a at a place where it 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 creates hurdles in getting something in production so I just want Eric? to hear your your yeah Eric your yeah. your point of view on this maybe yeah sure so so first of all I would just like to to mention that there's also a perspective of a uh, um, provider versus uh, uh sort of delivery uh, consultants or something like that. I, I myself, as someone who, who delivers solutions to the providers, I see it very much as we have to make sure that it, it's built in uh, into the solution. Of course, there's a, some project manager type like me that can discuss this with management management at the provider. Uh, so maybe there's this this distinction between who is building the solution and who who is actually providing that solution once it builds to someone else. Uh, not many people, uh, not many companies are actually able to develop AI solutions uh, in their own IT departments. I know that Alessandro is in a field where that's uh, more of an option, but in many other fields, uh, outside consultancy is, is needed. And that's perhaps where my point about machine learning engineers having to understand these concepts along with their project responsible is, is, uh, is more valid. And then in terms of the very practical approaches to uh, let's say transparency and bias, there are really uh, low practical ways to handle this. And I could just tell you about my experience from the AI projects that I did myself, where we handled transparency simply by evaluating different models in terms of transparency, and then trying to use the transparent ones first and seeing if we could have a good performance with that and only uh, 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 going over to less transparent models if the performance were sort of dictated it. And of course, being aware that whether it was even ethical to use a low transparency uh, model. Um, and in terms of, of bias, just be aware of the different stages of bias where there's bias in the world. I mean, it's just a fact that we don't like. Uh, there's uh, bias in the selection of data. There's bias in the uh, feature engineering where we heavily reduce uh, the dimensionality of the data, but thereby also putting in our own assumptions. And then, and funnily enough, where we do the actual training of the model, there is no introduction of bias, which is very unlike what we see uh, from the public where they just understand someone did AI and bias came out the other end. I guess I, uh, uh, AI is bad. And that also leads me to the AI Act being 
in my eyes, more about data than AI, really. And Peter? Yeah, so perhaps that was a really nice uh, segue also into the question I well, you know, looking into here because, uh, Eric, you're talking about transparency and 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 one of the things that is very clearly defined in in the in the AI Act is that these uh, AI systems have to be transparent and uh, and provision information to the users. Uh, so it has to. It's, it's clearly states that the operate the operation of of uh, of the AI system has to be sufficiently transparent to enable users to interpret the system's output, being whatever is coming out of the the the, the algorithm or the AI, um, and then you'd be able to use it appropriately, appropriately, and I think that that talks definitely into. Uh, I think also now you mentioned that it's all about the data, already in the GDPR. Uh, we are regulating the data, and and the data is you know used for doing AI, uh, doing AI, and especially transparency is already mentioned in GDPR. So we have already a regulation in place that forces us to be able to explain how data is being used uh, for the citizen or whoever is 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 uh, whose data is being used. Of course, the difference being that the GDPR is regulating the personal information, and AI Act is regulating all AI, uh, independent on whether you have personal information or, or not, but it's definitely similar. So my my, for almost since the GDPR came into place, I've been working a lot on the explainability part, on the explainable AI, um, also in research projects together with universities, and I think it's really there where we have the most work still to be done, because creating explanations for for yeah on one hand side creating explanations for the data scientists that's the pro- primarily uh, or the, the most often used uh, way of explaining AI algorithm is this way of, you know, doing feature explanations. So you can explain how a feature is most important for whatever output you have from the algorithm. That's one way of explaining both simple models, but also the deep neural networks. If you use them, you can still do this post hoc explanation on how um, uh, what feature was the most important feature in relation to whatever result you got. And that's a really nice way of doing it. You have some challenges in, in doing that. Yeah, I think um, not every user is going to understand that. And also, unfortunately, you have some challenges with correlation in the de- in, in between the features. So you cannot necessarily, necessarily say why exactly uh, one feature is more important than another. It could be due to correlations, a lot of different correlations that you do not understand. So this is not the most important um, or best way of explaining models. I think we need to go back and and you know get some more logical explanations and combining. In fact, perhaps the mo- the old way of doing uh, combining what we already know in 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 terms of uh, logical explanations, or in fact what we in the old days called the expert systems, where you ask some expert what they already know, and then you combine that. For instance, building knowledge graphs, combining that with uh, with deep, deep neural networks. So we have this uh, hybrid model. Approach. I think that could be an interesting way of looking forward. But I still also know that this is not um, the standard way of doing uh, the, doing algorithms and AI today. So we definitely have some work to do within the next two years. So we expect this regulation to come into place in two and a half to three years because the European Parliament still have to to vote on it, and it's uh, they, either in the end of this year they'll do that or beginning of next year, and they will have a two year. 
uh, waiting time period where everybody have to, uh, you know, make sure they are compliant. So within two years, two and a half years, we will see something uh, come into play. But we also have to work heavily on all the good things that has to be done in between that. And Eric? Yes, I just wanted to add that uh, you mentioned that that you can uh, sort of see which parameters or features are the, the most crucial ones. Uh, I've tried that uh, technique and you also mentioned that the correlation problem makes it uh, very difficult. But really, I don't think uh, for the models that are meant to handle uh, uh, non-linear problems, uh, such as uh, deep learning and other types of, of neural networks, I think it's quite uh, difficult to have any other way of evaluating the features. I, I, I don't see, see it in the research right now. And I don't see it, 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 it coming either. So uh, either you're you're saying we should stay away from those models, or you're saying that that's a, as good as it gets. Uh, I haven't checked the research recently, but I haven't heard anything that there's any other way to evaluate that model. And it's very like you should just imagine that you have a lot of parameters and features, and and it's it's not really uh, known how they uh, correlate or how they um, uh, uh, influence it influence each other so maybe taking one out makes makes a big difference but really it's not the most central part it just breaks everything else so it's completely in my mind it's completely unacademic this approach and it's like trying to see like if taking a part out out of a machine that you don't understand and seeing how bad does it blow up if i move this part i guess this part is important that that's really what it is and but but there are other ai models where we know that they are transparent and explainable. And that's back to my point again, that machine learning engineers need to be the ones who help drive this. Maybe they got this task from above, but they need to be able to be the ones who drive it because they understand that um, uh, a random forest model is very much more explainable than even the simplest uh, feed forward neural network with a sigmoid activation function, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. yeah, if I can just comment on that, because I agree with you definitely, also both on the, on the part about the, this feature importance explanation is not necessarily very good and we have to do something else. The hybrid model approach, you can try to look into that, like combining uh, logical models and also uh, with the deep neural networks is a way forward. And But that was not <laughs> what I wanted to, to discuss. So here here I think it is important that we, we somehow try to look into um, when you talk about what we can do with more simple models, that's true. You can make a, a simple linear regression model and you can perhaps very easily explain it. But then you have this unfortunate, uh, you know, uh, um, dependence uh, where, where the, the, you know, the better accuracy or the better performance you get from the models, the more complicated it gets. And the reason why deep neural networks have been so successful is that they are more accurate. Uh, the performance you get is better. So if you want AI that really works, then you have to use the deep neural network. So we have to somehow figure out a way to combine these and not only going back to, of course, some, some, some problems can be solved with decision trees, um, but other problems have to, and that's the more complicated problems that often is the problems we want to look into because we as humans cannot explain them. So we need something more intelligent, you can say, uh, deep neural networks to be able to explain whatever is going on, and we have to also be able to understand that. Alessandro? Yeah, I'll, um, I see the value of a very complex model, but I do also see that in practice, a, the great majority of business applications that are going to be, 
that are going to be affected by the AI Act are probably applications where simpler model could do most of the job anyway. So I think the AI Act is going to also force us to look ourselves hard in the mirror and say, is that 0.00001% increase in performance actually worth it? Because explainability is a value. Exactly. Explainability is a value by itself. Uh, not only because it's required, but also because it makes it easier to comply with regulation, to, exp to, to document it, makes it easier to pass it on to the next person. It makes it also easier to detect problems in your model, for example, bias. So it is a value by itself, and we might have to start considering just at par as accuracy. So, you know, yeah, we want to have good models that are very accurate, but explainability is also value that we, need to, we should care about. And perhaps the AI Act is going to be a push in this, that direction. Yep. And Eric? It's very short. Yeah, just completely agree. And uh, what the, the engineers the need is uh, a rating of all the models in terms of transparency and explainability. And I've been a propo uh, proponent of uni universities uh, incorporating this into their uh, research fields and delivering it to to us uh, for for a while now. But uh, so someone uh, someone has to sort of go get in do that work. And I don't. I guess that's also part of what you're referring to, uh, Peter. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So just a comment on on the just using simpler models. I, I mean, the success of AI has not been due to the simple models. I just have to. That I think we just have to realize that. Yes, we can do. Uh, we can solve some problems, some more simple problems with simple models, but the hard problems that we really want AI to help us on, I would argue that would require some deep neural network that we have to explain somehow, and we can, and and, and I see research going on now, and we have to we have two years now to to get that research into production or try to you know make proof concepts, try to use that uh, the ideas. What we also see is within data. There's a huge focus on data governance, metadata management, and understanding data in general. And I think that's really a, a really good process that people are starting realizing that if you want to do AI, you have to start with data. You have to look into the quality of your data. And, start, and, and when you do that, one way of doing it is you do creating data catalogs, describing your data in knowledge graphs, and when you did do start to get the understanding of how data elements are related to each other, you can use that within your exp explanation. So I think we are seeing some really nice, um, uh, you know, direct directions ahead, both in relation to how you manage data, uh, the whole data governance part, and now also interesting algorithms combining these two worlds. I think that that could be a way forward. And and we are uh, in Capgemini already working on it and I would be happy to talk a lot about that also in a, a third new podcast if we can do that um, but yeah interesting I would say yeah definitely so finally we'll come to you Alessandro uh, with your question and you'd like to hear what everyone sees as the biggest challenge in complying with the regulation so what what do you think I'm also interested in also hearing we talked a lot about challenges but I'm also interested in hearing um besides explainability and the kind of things that we talked about it was an excellent point Sasha the need also to 
store data somehow or to go go back to data that was used to train the model. I was also interested to hear what do you think as still being gray areas in the regulations. We talked a lot about AI definitions. I wouldn't be able to put a line. The current formulation of the definition of AI says something like uh, there are systems designed to operate with some elements of autonomy. And I have no idea how elements of autonomy is going to be implemented in practice. Where do we draw the line? I said, this is a, this is a very, yeah, good, big challenge for me to understand. And then finally, I would also like to hear from you how, what do you think are going to be the next steps, especially how is Denmark going to implement this type of regulations? Who's going to be the responsible authority and so on? What's your thoughts? Asha, do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I can go ahead. Um, I think it, it is really going to be interesting as you mentioned, which authority that will will come up and, and do the reg actual regulation of this. Because I do think, regardless of it being pushed down from, from EU level, I I will say that there, there's probably going to be some kind of, uh, how do you say, translation of what it actually means in practice. And it will take some time, and I know there's this two-year period where we'll, we'll learn a lot and probably adapt a lot. Um, but I, I think there will, yeah, there will be some time before we, we know exactly what it means in practice. Yeah, Peter? Yeah, so I'm not sure it would be that complicated. I mean, we have the data the, the data agency. We also have the digitalization agency. So I would, I would argue it's one of them or both that, that can end up regulating this. Perhaps the digitalization agency is the obvious one now that it is not only data. Um, and yes, there'll be some Danish interpretation of that, but I'm not really seeing that as the big challenge here. I agree with Alessandro that we still, I know the, the European Parliament is still discussing what is AI and, and since even I also some saw a proposed, I mean, there has been 3000 uh, proposed changes to, to the regulation already now. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see, to see how it end up. Uh, but. And, and and as I said, hopefully within uh, one year or in within 2023. Uh, but I do also see that the challenge is not exactly on that. I, I would say it's the challenges are and what is still needed are definitely how we do all what is expected of us as the people de developing the solutions is including the transparency and, and the challenges with explainability, as we mentioned, but also just uh, the fact on, on being able to handle bias. Being able to, and I think Eric also mentioned that a lot. There's so much to be done in doing trustworthy AI that that we still have to work at least for the next two years on that. And that could also be a place to start. Alessandro, you mentioned also that. What's the next step? I would argue it's definitely working more on understanding trustworthy AI, explainable AI. How do we do that? How do we, you know, do transparency in the right way and handle bias? Uh, so that's something we, we have to do. And then, Sasha, I think on, on your point also, there's definitely also something on on the management level, top management level. How do you then make the top management level already now interested? We know the fines help. We also saw that now with the energy crisis, uh, that whenever things are getting expensive, people are reacting. Uh, but, but, you know, taking that di dialogue now at CXO level, that's definitely something we need to, to do also. Alessandro, did you have something you wanted to add there? No, yeah, uh, I just wanted to say that it's going to be interesting for me at least to see how it's going to be implemented in practice. You're right, uh, Peter, that it's going to be, I mean, we are, we are going to have to implement it as is uh, indicated by the commission, but there's still some wiggle room, especially in how, you know, how the controls are going to be done. And um, 
something in the regulation also indicates that, for example, for financial institutions, financial institutions, so the financial supervision authority would be responsible for checking financial institution compliance. I think it's going to be a mess. <laughs> Which authority is going to take the ball and uh, yeah, how yeah. they're going to do the controls and whether the controls done by the different authorities will be the same. Uh, so I'm I'm a little bit worried about that to be to be honest. But at the same time, I'm very hopeful because the current government has a ministry that has put together digitalization and equal opportunities. And on the eve of the well legislation work by the Danish government, the Danish parliament uh, for implementing the AI, AI Act, well, it's 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 a good it's, it's a good coincidence. If it is a coincidence, that's a very good one, uh, especially because the ministry then is a person with a very heavy uh, legal background. Um, so I'm optimistic, but also a little bit worried. Yeah, and Sasha. Yeah. And I just had a comment in terms of, I think the 4%, uh, like it's of course a good incentive, or the, the fee of 4% is of course a good incentive to get started. But I think if we compare it a little bit to the GDPR and how there's been a, a bottleneck in terms of how that is actually regulated and and how, how it's actually followed up on, uh, I'm, I'm just very curious to see how, how it'll it'll fly in Denmark. Okay, great. And I'm also curious, uh, obviously from, from my end of things, how do you guys think that this implication of this act might affect recruitment strategies? Anyone got any ideas on that one? Alessandro? We are going to have to uh, hire more people that be, be become that are between the scans and between risk managers, legal and engineers. So these kind of connect, connectors, they're going to be crucially important. And finally, well, there's going to be a lot of, as Eric and we mentioned before, there's going to be a lot of work for consulting companies. That's good news for you, Sasha. Uh, but uh, it's um, we're going to have, we haven't talked about standards. Uh, there is a process ongoing to understand how we uh, how we create some ISO standards uh, for our AI models. And there's going to be a lot of need for people who understand these standards and can actually implement them. Uh, it can help companies conform to them. Yeah. Peter, what about you? Yeah, just a comment also on the standards because that's a very valid and good point that the European Commission also uh, expects and the, the standardization organizations have already started now trying to um, define the standards needed to follow that you have to follow as a as a company or as a as a company placing AI products into the market. Unfortunately, it, the regulation as it is right now also states that you know uh, whenever they want to, the Commission can change. Uh, the regulation and also then you can e even end up in a situation where you follow the standards but it's not enough and uh, and we did comment on that in, in in relation to the feedback to the regulation now i'm not i'm looking forward to see how that's going to be implemented if they still uh, you know um, keep the, the the formulation about being able to change the regulation uh, over time or with, if they, you know, somehow put into place that it's okay if you just uh, follow the, the standards, then you are okay. Um, that's not clear uh, to me. So it's definitely interesting. And, and uh, as, as also been mentioned by you, Alessandro, we have to do something, consul some consultancy work now also to see how we can uh, get, uh, got, get even before now, this, and even before the standards are coming into place, see how we can uh, get this to work. Okay, great. So to round up our conversation then, if the act in its current form was set into force tomorrow, what would your first action be very quickly? Peter, you go first. Yeah, I did also more or less uh, mention that, that we have so many things to look into from a technical perspective. On the other hand, we have 
a lot of nice things we could start. Let me just perhaps mention that instead. I did mention the the ML ops, so that doing the all the transparency about how you use data. That's also obvious in the AI Act that we have to be able to document that. That's a good place to start because data governance in, in general is very important, also in relation to the GDPR already being put in place. So if you just start understanding your data, starting to document how you use your data, then you're already on way, on your way to doing what is needed as one step. And then on the other hand, I, I'm look, reaching out to the, to the research community and also other you know, people working on AI that we have to do better on the explainability part. Um, so there's a lot of things to do, but we have we have a lot of things we can start with. Also, the the nice MLOps uh, opportunities out there. So doing more ops, uh, DevOps uh, kind of things on uh, on the machine learning process. That is, in fact, I think some people forget that doing AI is building an application. It's not just doing data science. At least if we want to put it into market, it end up being an application. Therefore, we have to take all the goods stuff from the DevOps processes that we have been using for tens of years uh, in product development. So putting that onto the AI application uh, is, uh, uh, yeah, one way of starting also. Yeah, Eric, what would your first action be? So we've already been thinking about what we need to do in terms of transparency, explainability, uh, person dependency in data and so on. But if I was to take your question at face value, you were actually asking if it's here right now what would you be doing and and uh, i think i would be focusing on uh, helping uh, current and future uh, customers because i'm an in i'm an it consultant and i it consultants uh, see a company with really understanding what are their obligations and what are and really addressing some of those their worries and explaining exactly what the way forward uh, would be uh, but right now uh, uh, i'm thinking there's time and there might we might see uh, some changes in how this uh, how this hits us. That means that we have to uh, react differently. But uh, as I think it's been very apparent from the, our discussion, there are things that we get, should already be thinking about right now. And I think uh, one of the main shifts uh, for everyone is this shift to from a focus to, uh, on performance to a focus on uh, compliance. And I really think that's a good thing uh, in terms of using AI responsibly and in a good way in the future. Yeah, and Sasha. Yeah, I think I'd just like to build on what Peter and Eric are saying now, uh, concluding with, uh, I think uh, I would probably on top say that uh, maybe someone from management, uh, the legal department and the tech department should sit together and and really think about how, how to process uh, or uh, yeah, progress from there. Yeah, and finally, Alessandro. First panic, uh, and then yes, <laughs> and then yes, set up a meeting, called the, our DPO, the data protection officer, put him together in the same room with uh, me, the data, enge the lead, data engineering lead, and uh, the head of legal, and then formulate the strategy together. Okay, great. So we will leave it there for today. Um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank each of you, Alessandro, Sasha, Eric, and Peter, for providing some amazing insights into our topic today. Um, very informative, uh, very interesting as well. And hopefully everyone can take something away from our discussion, including our listeners. So thank you all for listening. And if you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I hope you've enjoyed listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. See you next time.